Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Ryan Painter Show. It is July 3rd. We have entered officially the dog days of summer, although here in the Royal, it has been raining for hours at this point. It's just about a quarter after 11 that I'm recording this, um, and it is pouring rain, which makes my wife exceedingly happy because she didn't water the lawn yesterday, and uh, now she doesn't have to today, so that's great. Uh, just rain, rain, rain. Go, go, go. Interesting, actually, I, I learned recently that dog days of summer, when we hear that phrase, I didn't actually know where it came from. And uh, it actually, I mean, when you think of dog days, I think it's, you know, generally people think about it being so hot that dogs can't do anything, right? That they're just laying around being dogs. One of the three things that they do, eat, sleep, and other stuff that dogs do when they're done eating and drinking. But dog days actually refers to uh, Greek and Roman mythology about uh, uh, Sirius rising in the summer. Um, you know, Sirius rises alongside the sun, and it was believed at the time that the two stars when they rose at the same time and combined, that's what made it so hot. Uh, and in fact, you can go back to uh, the Iliad and find references to Sirius as Orion's dog rising. We're getting into a little bit of constellation history for you. The constellations, for any of you astronomers or astrologers or whatever those constellation study people are called. I don't know. They look up at the sky and they can see stuff and they can make sense of it. And I'm just looking up and I'm like, yeah, there's stars up there and satellites and crap just floating around. Maybe an alien or two. Who knows? Waving down. What's up, aliens? Today's me talking with UBC professor Alan Tupper. And I talked with Alan. We recorded yesterday, actually. It was very gracious of him to be able to offer about 25 minutes of his time to chat with me about the upcoming BC NDP leadership race. And just looking up Professor Tupper's biography here on the UBC website, because I should probably tell you a bit about him before I just jump into the interview, what does it say here? UBC.ca, Department of Political Science. Alan Tupper is professor and former head of the department. He was educated at Carleton University and Queen's University. That's where he got his PhD. His major teaching and research interests are Canadian politics and government, comparative public management and public policy. He has published widely on these subjects. And his current research interests are politics of higher education, government ethics, and the political economy of major world seaports. I think that makes him being at UBC in Vancouver very relevant. 
uh, we weren't talking about oceans or education or global trade. We were talking about the upcoming BC NDP leadership race, which was triggered this week by Premier John Horgan announcing that he is going to be stepping down as leader. And full disclosure, for those of you who may or may not already know, yes, I am a member of the NDP. Um, I am active in the party provincially and federally. Um, and that's it. And I believe in the party and I believe in what they do. And if you don't like it, well, tune in and hear stuff and learn and expand your capacity. And if you don't want to, you don't have to. That's also fine. But that's the perspective that I come from. Do I always agree with the NDP? No. Do I always agree with my colleagues in the party? No. Uh, do I have varied and diverse opinions? Yes. I'm one of the few in the party at any level, provincially or nationally, who talks about nuclear technology and the need to expand our capacity to generate energy from new and emerging nuclear tech. And I highly recommend that you tune in next Sunday because I'll be talking with a dear friend about the BC NDP leadership race and why this leadership race matters when it comes to climate change. So it's going to be an excellent, excellent interview. But for this interview, I talked to Professor Tupper and we first talked about John Horgan's legacy and how he's situated in terms of previous NDP leaders in the last 30 years. Uh, so I'm looking at Mike Harcourt, Glenn Clark, and John Horgan. Now, John Horgan will have been the only NDP leader in BC history to be re-elected. Uh, Dave Barrett first uh, was not re-elected. He was defeated. Uh, Mike Harcourt uh, stepped down. And Glenn Clark um, was uh, successfully elected to one term, uh, but was uh, also stepped down. And uh, that government was not re-elected, was de defeated by Gordon Campbell. Uh, in that election uh, in, two, I always, I remember it was 2000 or 2001, and I, I actually, it was the very first campaign that I ever worked in, and it just feels like ancient history. Um, I think I could remember, and folks are going to be listening now, and they're going to be probably either shouting at their uh, radio or saying to themselves, idiots, it's obviously 2000 because this happened, or it's obviously 2001. You know what? I'm just going to look it up. I think it's 2001, and that's Yep, 2001. There you go. 2001 provincial election, which for those of you who are interested and who are listening was on May 16th, 2001. It's always funny when you go to Wikipedia because on these elections, they show you color maps of turnout. And holy cow, is that a red, 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 red color map. Of course, for those of you who do not know or maybe need a refresher, that was the election that elected Gordon Campbell to 77 seats in the legislature and the outgoing New Democrats led at that time by Premier Ujjal Dosange to two seats, Joy McPhail and Jenny Kwan, the legendary Joy McPhail and Jenny Kwan. Anyways, back to what we're talking about today. So we talked with Professor Tupper about Horgan's legacy, his legislative achievements, um, how he leaves and what legacy he leaves behind. And then we talk about potential um, front runners and entrants into the campaign. And what I really thought was interesting 
was Professor Tupper's take that because of the speed in which this race is happening, it's July now, and the race um, Premier Horgan said would be happening in the fall, it doesn't really allow a lot of opportunities for outsiders, candidates outside of the current uh, BC NDP caucus to enter the race. So it really is going to be relegated, I think. And I agree with him, by the way, to uh, incumbents. I know uh, um, Mayor Brad West from the Lower Mainland, and I even said that on the podcast, and I can't for the life of me remember where he's mayor. I think it's New Westminster. Oh, Port Coquitlam. There we go. City of Port Coquitlam. Uh, Sorry, Brad, if you're listening. (laughs) No offense, but there's a lot up in the old noodle here, and... I can't remember everything, but that's why we have Google. So uh, there's been some murmurings that Brad West, current mayor of the city of Port Coquitlam, may be um, vying for leadership. Honestly, I, I, I wish Brad luck if he decides to step up. Um, you know, having an outsider step into the race is not a bad thing. Lots of ideas is not bad, but I think generally speaking, Professor Tupper is accurate in saying that this is going to be an insider's race. Uh, it is because it is just so, so, so short. And by the way, I think a short race is a good idea. I think we need to get a leader in place uh, soon so they can establish themselves, establish what their premiership is going to be like, and they can shift the the deck chairs around. It's not the Titanic. It's not what the, <laughs> that's not at all what that reference was supposed to mean. Um, but, uh, you know, rearrange the cabinet because this leader is going to come in and it's going to have a cabinet that they want and they're, they're going to be spoiled for choice i mean the front bench and even back benchers there's a lot of strength in the ndp caucus a lot of experience a lot of diversity there's incredible um experience in terms of work history advocacy nonprofit experience business experience um legal experience there's all kinds uh, of, of experience, whether you're in the interior of BC, you know, the Okanagan, which has, you know, Harwinder Sandu, that would be great. Um, parliamentary secretary, cabinet minister, minister of health, you know, something. I'm sure there's going to be lots of opportunities. But what I'm saying is that new premier who comes in is going to need to come in quickly, reshape that cabinet and lay out a policy agenda because we're only about two years away from the next election whenever it's going to be called and two years is not a long time to set a policy agenda and start finding some achievements and there's quite a few things in front of us that need to be addressed the doctor's shortage the opioid crisis rising inflation cost of living housing availability housing access and housing supply Um, these are all things that are going to need urgent attention Um, I'll also say from my own personal experience, the next premier is going to really need to address the capital maintenance deficits that are affecting school districts all across the province. So there's a lot to look at. And this next premier is going to have a big job ahead of them uh, coming into the next election. So with that, uh, I will now turn to the interview with Professor Tupper. This uh, interview is not going to be put behind the Patreon paywall. It is completely available to you. I want folks to have the benefit of hearing this entire unedited interview between myself and Professor Tupper. So it is all here for you. Have a listen and 
we'll hit you on the other side. Professor Tupper, thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm happy to do it. So as many of us know, um, we've now entered into uh, an interesting period uh, in uh, BC political history where we have a current sitting uh, NDP Premier, John Morgan, who has announced he's going to be stepping down this summer, or um, this fall rather, which uh, has now triggered a leadership race in the BC NDP, the current governing party in the province of BC. Uh, I want to just check in with you first and set a bit of context so folks can understand where we are right now in terms of uh, John Morgan's leadership uh, premier uh, of the province uh, coming in in 2017 with a confidence and supply agreement, um, how his leadership has been different from previous NDP premiers uh, and where that puts the party, the BC NDP, uh, right now in terms of historical context. Why don't we just start how has Premier Horgan governed the province? Well, it's an important question. I think he has proceeded somewhat differently than his NDP predecessors. He really, in my opinion anyway, uh, Ryan, he's moved the party clearly to the center of the political spectrum, and he's done a lot of work, which I think will yield uh, uh, dividends uh, and has, uh, he's done a lot of work in expanding the base of the province in two ways, geographic, and he's built support in areas that we've not seen the NDP strong in provincially, and into the cities and towns around Vancouver, for one thing, uh, expanding it into the Fraser Valley and all those kinds of things. He's got a strong complement. He's also expanded the uh, diversity of the party and uh, increased its appeal to different groups. The uh, questions I think that will flow from all that is whether the uh, NDP will uh, situate it strongly enough, situate itself strongly enough at the center that it will be a long-term rival for the uh, uh, provincial liberals. And it seems to me at this point, it's done that quite effectively. The, uh, you know, uh, it knocked off Andrew Wilkinson in, in essence, and, uh, and we'll see how Kevin Falcon goes. Uh, but, you know, uh, it's a challenge because the Liberal Party is, seems to be moving towards the center right uh, when the, uh, while the NDP is moving to, uh, strongly towards the center and the center left. So it, it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. But I think that's Horgan's key contribution to expand the basis of the uh, NDP to be, make it quite clearly a centrist party. Would you say, given previous NDP premiers, of course, Mike Harcourt in the early 90s, followed by uh, Glenn Clark, and then uh, preceding that, uh, Dan Miller and Eugel Passage, um, but, but I mean, the two big premiers that we think of in terms of NDP premiers of, of, uh, of the 90s are, are Premier Harcourt and Premier Clark. Uh, has Horgan, uh, Premier Horgan, managed his caucus and his party differently than how um, Premier Harcourt and Premier Clark did? Uh, I'm not sure I've seen too much about the internal management that's different. I think that Horgan has paid a lot of attention to the caucus which is an obligation of all premiers though to do, and possibly more so than Glenn Clark. Uh, Mike Harcourt's a, a sort of different uh, person altogether, 
But I think that the, the way I would contrast the three of them, Ryan, would be uh, primarily uh, the degree to which they are willing to soften their commitment to traditional NDP values, mm -hmm. to, to the value of a social, uh, the social democratic party. And I think that's particularly compelling in, in Glenn Clark's uh, case. And uh, Harcourt, I think, is uh, quite flexible ideologically. And uh, this has uh, electoral payoffs. It'll also lead possibly to challenges down the road when people, uh, a lot of activists in, in the NDP, just as night follows day, will begin to say, we, 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 we're just an electoral machine now. We're not committed to our values and we're not a, we're not a movement. We're now clearly a political party. In terms of Premier Horgan's five years uh, as not just uh, Premier, but in fact, it would be six years as leader of the NDP, because as we know, uh, he started rather reluctantly in 2014 um, after um, uh, the then leader of the party, or it may have been 2013, actually, the fall. I, I, my timing might be a bit off, but when Premier Adrian Dix or uh, BC NDP leader Adrian Dix did step down, um, Premier Horgan now, uh, then was rather reluctant to step forward. He wanted a new generation um, to take shape. Um, and at that point, we saw Mike Farnworth, uh, who is currently the Minister of uh, Solicitor General of Public Safety, um, step forward. Um, there was a lot of anticipation of David Eby to step forward, but he didn't show. I think he was just uh, had a, a young child or one, or one or two young kids at the time. Um, and so Horgan uh, stepped up. Um, in his five years, though, they've been relatively scandal-free. I mean, we had the most recent museum uh, fiasco, which you know he, I think, could reasonably have said to have spent some political capital on and uh, stepped back from that. But relatively speaking, five years without much scandal, I, I think, is pretty successful in terms of uh, BC premiers. Uh, BC premiers historically have uh, not, I don't think, been able to go that long uh, without having something uh, attached themselves. Would, would you agree with that? Would you say that his style and approach has maybe lent itself to being perhaps a bit more of a centrist populist kind of approach. Yeah, I think that's quite right. I mean, he his, his government has been free from scandals in the sense that I think you're referring to there being particularly free of serious conflicts of interest cases, mm -hmm. which have dogged governments in Canada throughout the democratic world in recent mm -hmm. years. So I think that's quite noteworthy and, and very important. The major problem they dealt with, if you recall, was in the uh, staff of the uh, uh, Legislative Assembly of British mm -hmm. Columbia with overspending and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the government has run a fairly tight uh, fiscal agenda. And at the end of the day, you know, I think the, uh, the museum question is not a scandal in, in one sense. It's a, a possibly a poor policy choice. Uh, but I'm not even sure that that is that uh, much of a problem. As Horgan himself said on the uh, day of the, the press conference and when he uh, announced his uh, resignation or pending resignation, he, he mentioned that, uh, you know, he's very committed to the Provincial Museum and he didn't really give much ground on that. And I think he sees that, uh, you know, it's an important public asset and down the road, maybe the timing wasn't right as we move into a high inflation period, et cetera, et cetera. 
But I'm not sure that that issue is uh, uh, that clear cut as a serious problem. I'm not sure how much political capital he's lost. And as it was widely noted, uh, he, he made the way free for his all who are going to run for the leadership to be free from the uh, tainted with that issue to the degree anybody's going to be tainted at all. So uh, he's, he's run a pretty good government. And, uh, you know, there's been problems. There's debate about COVID handling and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, they did the work they had to do. They cushioned COVID as much as they could. They, uh, you know, have pursued other policies. And the other thing that's noteworthy about Horgan and, and the uh, provincial NDP in British Columbia right now is its close ties with the government of Canada through Justin mm -hmm. Trudeau. So that's another thing that uh, the leadership candidates will be measured against, uh, whether people think there's too close to uh, Trudeau or not close enough or whatever. But Horgan has made no uh, uh, qualms about that uh, tightness, particularly on questions of indigenous politics. In terms of uh, legislative success, just before we before we move on to talk about potential contenders, I want to just look back on the five years and reflect. I mean, of course, COVID was a huge part of, of uh, Premier Horgan's mandate, um, and even more so, I think, the reason why he went to the election in 2020. But over the course of his five years, I, I wonder if you can help us reflect a bit on his legislative accomplishments. He, he certainly, I think, in the early part of his tenure was really trying to measure himself up to Premier Barrett, who in three years, I don't remember the number of bills that they passed, but, but it was significant. Um, and they made some significant uh, changes uh, that set BC up, uh, certainly to, to be very different from where it was before Premier Barrett came in. Do you think that Premier Horgan um, got close to uh, or matched or exceeded uh, where Premier Barrett uh, uh, what he managed to accomplish legislatively in his three years, because it certainly does seem like Premier Horgan was attempting to to at least match that. Well, I don't know about that, but Barrett was a very effective premier and a very controversial, an extremely controversial one. You might not be old enough to remember too well his period, but it was wild in a lot of ways in terms of the thing they did and the controversy surrounding ICBC and mm -hmm. a whole lot of things. But anyway, moving to the moment, uh, I don't know to whether uh, Horgan really has much affinity with Par uh, Dave Barrett other than a personal one. And, but anyway, uh, I think that he uh, he did some uh, reasonable things and some lasting things. One of the more uh, important ones was the, uh, I think, the uh, building of a strong commitment to the UN de Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples into the structures of the government of British Columbia, its whole legislative mandate. I think that's a lasting uh, piece of work. Uh, I think uh, you know a lot of the other things was the implementation of, of budgets and tax policy and all that, uh, which is not to be sneezed at, but it's not a decisive long-term impact on the province unless they go crazy with taxes and the expenditures <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. But, but no, I, I think there's a variety of things in that sphere and of the, the links with Indigenous peoples that are lasting and consequential and required uh, attention. We all have come to that conclusion now. Certainly, I, I couldn't agree more. I want to shift now a bit to talk about 
the upcoming leadership uh, contest that will happen, which will, uh, in essence, set the next BC NDP leader to be premier, um, which is a fascinating study in and of itself in terms of uh, how our democracy works. Uh, essentially, the, the next uh, leader automatically steps into that position uh, without needing to go into an election, although they may just themselves decide to go that way. We, I think we, we have certainly from uh, what I've been reading and hearing, we have a couple front runners or a few front runners, certainly uh, Minister Eby rising right to the top um, as the Attorney General and Minister responsible for housing, um, but not just that, but work he's done on ICBC um, and the casino money laundering uh, trial uh, um, piece against the former government. But we have Jobs Minister Ravi Kalon, um, who clearly has been uh, stepping out on the world stage uh, and through the COVID pandemic, um, uh, Minister Nathan Cullen, Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing, Josie Osborne, the Fisheries and Oceans Minister. And there are several people's names who are starting to pop out, Brad, uh, Brad West, uh, current mayor um, in the Lower Mainland. So I'm wondering if you can just help us find our way through some of these personalities and understand where they, in your opinion, where they situate themselves in terms of a political spectrum uh, and where they'll be triangulating in terms of NDP supporters, because they don't necessarily have to go after the general voter in the province of BC. They're gonna be targeting NDP uh, members. So can, can you help us kind of find our way through those? Perhaps we can start with yep. Minister David Eby and tell us a bit about him and where you think he, he situates himself or he's well, situated. Just before I get to Eby and the other, some of the other colleagues you mentioned, I'd, I'd, I'd say that you know, this race is gonna be very much structured by its quite tight window of time window. I mean, they're gotta do this as was stated by the premier. Uh, they wanna get at this in the fall and mm -hmm. you know, we're in July now. So uh, this is gonna be for people primarily who are in the caucus now. I think it'll be very difficult for people who are outside. I, I know there's the discussion of different mayors and so on uh, to, to get in there, unless there's a powerful demand for change, which doesn't seem to be manifest in, in any way. And, and so I think that highlights and, and strengthens your point that this is about appealing to party members. We know one thing for sure, one of the things that ends up heavily on people's mind, although there's diversity, and I alluded to some of that before, is winnability. This is what's on people's minds. Can the person they uh, select win power and maintain it? Mm -hmm. And that I think is a fundamental thing that we've learned from the study of leadership conventions, which are now an important part of Canadian politics. That said, on with the, Dave Eby is certainly a, uh, a leader. He, uh, for the reasons you've cited, ICBC, he, he dealt with some big changes there. And I think, broadly speaking, successfully. And he was skillful politically and getting uh, money back into people's pockets through COVID and all that stuff. So I think uh, he's done that. Uh, uh, some of the other things, you, I just add one other thing. Uh, as Attorney General, uh, he prosecuted, uh, in one sense, prosecuted in, in one sense of the term, the uh, whole uh, issue of opioid drugs and the substantial uh, uh, cash settlement from one of the uh, manufacturers, 
That's right, actually. That's right. Purdue, I think it was Purdue Pharmaceuticals Purdue, just, absolutely. just uh, settled $150 million with uh, the provinces. Yeah, exactly. That's right. A great villain of the piece, and uh, quite rightly so. Uh, so that's a substantial accomplishment as well. So he's got lots of strengths on his side. He's, uh, he's in a, you know, he comes to this uh, position with the sort of uh, notoriety of uh, putting the chase to uh, uh, Christy Clark when, you know, he defeated her in a by-election, which people in the Liberal Party thought was simple uh, for her to win, uh, but no such thing. And she had to retreat, as you recall, to a really safe seat in Kelowna. Uh, so mm. he's a giant killer out of the gate and it kind of got a hero status. But I think he's a, a substantial person and has proven himself effective. I think uh, Ravi Kalan, you mentioned too, is an effective person. Mm -hmm. He's got a, he brings diversity to the job. Mm -hmm. He's, his family is of Indian descent. He's a first generation or second generation uh, Canadian in one sense. Uh, but, you know, he, his parents are indeed self-made people. His father worked in the forestry industry. His mother uh, worked in a restaurant, which she ultimately took over, a uh, success story. And mm -hmm. he's got interesting viewpoints and he's he's out there and all that kind of stuff. So uh, uh, he's not to be taken lightly. Doesn't have that much direct political experience, but, uh, you know, sometimes that's a positive thing. Uh, uh, if you know what I mean, because you have fewer uh, 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 errors that you've made and enemies you've made and all that sort of stuff. But, and, you know, he, he was elected first in uh, 2017. So he's got a, he's, he's got a reasonable grasp of how the legislature works and legislative process. So a serious person. Uh, I think uh, I'd probably add uh, Robinson, the current minister of finance to the oh, list. Oh, Selena Robinson. Yes. Yeah. I think you know she's uh, she's been around since uh, 2013, so she's got 10 years experience. She's run a major crucial portfolio, which gives her a lot of visibility, uh, and she's done it pretty well. There's not a finance department's very crucial thing, their budgets and all that sort of stuff. Done a good job at that. I think would have, if not the support of the business community but certainly no opponents of, with any really serious flaw, uh, comments about her. So I take her seriously too. Gender, mm -hmm. very important. Yes. So that's a big issue there. And uh, uh, so that is important. And I think, I don't know about Osborne as much. I mean, uh, she is uh, new to the legislature. Uh, she has, she was a mayor of Tofino, of course, and that, you know, there's close links between provincial and municipal politics in all provinces, all Canadian provinces. Uh, so those things, I think, are, are linked in a lot of ways, and there's sort of windows on, on each other. Uh, I just don't know if she's got enough uh, sort of profile in the party mm -hmm. at this point, and that could be a bit of a drawback. Uh, she leads a sort of counterculture life in uh, the work in her uh, constituency, which is an interesting way to do things and all that. So uh, possibilities, but I think that would be quite unusual. She'd have to do a lot of work to get through there. 
I don't know about Adrian Dix either. I think maybe he's had his kick at it and not going mm -hmm. anywhere. Uh, you never know. Uh, he might be under some pressure, but I don't think he's been particularly distinguished as health minister through COVID. Quite, quite honest assessment on my part, but possibly something others would disagree with. And I, I think you're right about Colin. Uh, substantial experience as an MP in Ottawa member of parliament, uh, effective there, widely recognized. Uh, he was many times, if you recall, Ryan, uh, selected as the one of the most effective parliamentarians in a large house. And Indeed. so he- and came in third for the uh, federal NDP leadership behind did, uh, and, uh, Brian Top, who came he, in second. He did indeed. And so he, he knows how to run a leadership campaign. He's a smart person. He's experienced at both levels. He has been uh, uh, quieter than you might think as in municipal affairs, but that's actually, I think, a good thing because uh, you know it gives you time to build the support uh, instead of being hung up with legislation and all that sort of stuff. So I think you've got credible people. You've got Colin is credible, Dave Eby's credible, Robinson's credible. There'll, and there'll be others, uh, but you know, you'll, however they'll decide to do the uh, uh, leadership convention, uh, you'll have a variety of tools to knock people off. So if you have come in really weak, you have very little support, you're not gonna last long anyway. You'd just be doing it to, to get a bit of initial name recognition and then the play the game of trading off support for whatever little you can bring to the table with other candidates. Uh, so I think you're gonna, uh, they've got a decent slate of candidates. I, I would restate, I think it's difficult for someone not in that caucus to break in. There doesn't seem to be the need or the circumstances, but you know, people, again, they're showing a flag, they're getting into it, they're going around, they'll be in the leadership debates and all mm -hmm. that stuff. So. There's a variety of motivations for people, but I think they got a good a slate of candidates. What one name we didn't mention, who who does and is very popular within the NDP certainly, uh, and who I think is very recognized as being engaged certainly online is Bowen Ma, um, yep. and her name has certainly been circulated. Do you think that um, uh, Ms. Ma will will step forward? She she has been elected since 2017 as a, a North Shore. Uh, Northern uh, Vancouver uh, MLA yep. who, who defeated an incumbent uh, liberal in North Vancouver, something that I think they thought would never happen. Um, what do you think about her prospects? Reasonable. I think she's an effective person. She's proven that. She can do her, her politics and all that stuff. Whether there's enough experience and substance, it's hard to tell, uh, but that applies to a lot of these people. So I, my guess is she will have... Uh, uh, pressure on her to uh, to engage this, and she will probably respond. And she brings considerable diversity to the table as well. And this is an issue. This is not a passing thing, in my opinion, Ryan, in Canadian politics, federally and provincially diversity. I think it's now it's an issue that's had its that it's come into its own, and it's it's not a, a passing fancy or anything. Who you are the representation of the diversity of Canada and all that you do is going to be a very important criterion. And, and quite honestly, the day of the uh, uh, white male is 
is no longer going to be the dominant uh, day. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll see those changes chipped at or dramatically reversed, but it's going to be crucial for parties to advance a new phase. And I think that uh, we'll see this uh, leadership race do that in a strong way. Whether it results in one of these candidates being elected is hard to say, particularly with someone like E.B. Uh, running but uh, or Colin, but Callon is in a strong position because of that. And Ma uh, 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 is in a strong position and so on. So uh, uh, I think we have a, the, the party would be happy with what it's got to this point. Again, I think it's for that, it's an internal group at this point. I, I think it'll be hard to break into it, but you got four or five people who can put together quite a uh, interesting convention. One more question before I let you go, Professor, and I do thank you for your time. Uh, I have read in several uh, pieces in the media uh, that the, it is being intimated that this is all but a, a crowning convention for David Eby. Uh, is that your impression, or do you think that this will be a legitimate race uh, between real top-tier contenders? I think it's legitimate race, and I think it would serve the party well. I don't think it ever really does well to have a, a, a someone succeed a sitting premier uh, through a sort of heir-appointed status. I think uh, whoever gets the position should be out there campaigning for it within the party and face a tough convention. I think it's better for the health of the party. Wonderful. Professor Tupper, thank you so much for your time on a Saturday afternoon. I really appreciate it. Uh, and hopefully we can check back in at a later time to talk about this race as it unfolds. Anytime. Good thank to you. chat, Ryan. Thanks a lot. Enjoy your day. Same to you. Bye. Bye-bye. I really appreciate Professor Tupper making time available on a Saturday afternoon to talk to me about politics. I know it's Professor Tupper's uh, career, clearly, as a professor at UBC Political Science Department, but still, he he made himself available for me on uh, on a Saturday afternoon when he probably had way better things he could have done. One of the most important points that he made is that it shouldn't be, this race shouldn't be a coronation for David Eby. I think that would be the worst thing for this party. I really, really hope, really hope that there are folks who are willing to step up and put some bold things in the window for members to look at when they're shopping around for a leader they want to vote for. I think it's super key that we have a broad diversity of people represented from all walks of life. Look, we have folks like Roshna Singh from Surrey, who I also think would make a fantastic leadership candidate. Bowen Ma would make a fantastic leadership candidate. There's all kinds of candidates out there from broad cross sections of lived, of, uh, you know, the lived experience in different communities across BC, I would love to see a robust race with lots of differing opinions. What I don't want to see is just a lot of agreement on stage. Uh, I don't think that's healthy for a party. Um, I don't think it helps us flush out who we are and who we want to be. And I don't think it serves the membership, but also the province. You know, leadership races really 
I mean, they're not for the general public per se. They really are for the membership. But I think because currently the BC NDP is in government, this leadership race is going to matter and people are going to be tuning in to see who is going to be the next premier of the province. And so I think the debate that we have, the ideas that come forward, all of these pieces are going to matter so much. And so I just want a really good, robust debate convention, all of that stuff. I am not, because I am podcasting, because I would hope to be able to interview some of these candidates, I am not going to be working for a leadership race. I'm not going to be endorsing anybody. I want to be as unbiased as I possibly can. Um, so I won't be supporting any leadership races or, or anything like that. Uh, but I, I do hope to be able to interview some of the leadership candidates who are hoping to step forward into this race because I think getting their ideas out to as many people as possible is going to be a key part of building the next phase of the party in British Columbia and the next government. What are they going to do? What are they going to tackle? How are they going to tackle the most important issues that are facing British Columbians, not just in Vancouver, not just in Victoria, in northern Vancouver Island, the Sunshine Coast, northern BC, Prince Rupert, the Kootenays, the Okanagan, the interior, the Fraser Valley, the Peace region. You know, we have such a diverse province with so many amazing communities. I really hope we're able to have a race that engages with the incredible vibrance and uniqueness that is... Uh, really wonderful mosaic of culture in this province. So that's it for this interview. Thanks for listening. If you want to support the show, and if you want to get access to custom content, go to patreon.com forward slash TRP show, where you can get unedited interviews like the interview I did last week with outgoing member of Provincial Parliament for York Southwestern, Faisal Hassan. Faisal talked about his experience in the most recent Ontario election campaign and his thoughts about where the campaign went wrong. And he'll tell you what he's thinking about the future leadership of the party and if he's going to step up. To get the full episode and hear Faisal's full thoughts, experience, and hopes for moving forward, you do need to sign up. But it's only $10 a month. And $10 a month gets you that access to the unedited interviews forever, as long as you're maintaining your membership. If you sign up for a higher tier, you get more goodies. The next higher tier gives you access every three months for a year to different swag that will be mailed right to you, including, as well, access to the unedited interviews. And the final tier gives you all of that. Plus, after a year of being a subscriber, I'll send you a $100 gift certificate, gift card, gift code for whatever you want, wherever you want. doesn't matter. I mean, within reason. There'll probably be stuff that I don't want to give you a gift card to. But, I mean, if you're wanting to go to a restaurant, buy some online games, credits... Steam credits, whatever it is, sign up for a year, I'll send you a hundred bucks back. So I think it's a great deal. So head over to patreon.com forward slash 
TRP show. And if you're listening on iTunes, please leave me a review. I'd love to hear what you think about the show and if there's any topics you'd love me to cover. This show is really meant to be a relaxed take on current events, culture, different things that are going on in the world around us. And the reason why I say relaxed is because, I mean, for me, I have an anxiety disorder. I have panic disorder and and I need to be more relaxed. There's a lot going on in the world. And so being a bit more relaxed would be lovely. But I also want to create a space where we can come, you can come have conversations about some challenging topics and not feel the anxiety that I feel when I think about a lot of this stuff. And so it really is just an effort to just sit down and have a casual coffee conversation. Some of the best conversations that I have with folks is over a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. I'm drinking, (laughs) if you're interested, uh, an almost empty cup of Earl Grey tea with a bit of cream and sugar in it. Uh, That's my Sunday morning fix. I can't drink coffee much anymore. The, uh, the old, the old GERD, the old heartburn. I'm getting old, I tell ya. I think I talked about getting old in a first episode. I need to talk about that less. Apparently I'm feeling it because I'm talking about it a lot. So yeah, leave, uh, leave a review on iTunes if you're, if you're enjoying the show. And if you're listening through Spotify, through Anchor, and I think you can get access on iTunes too, there should be a link for you to leave a voice message. Feel free to leave a voice message, comment, question, whatever it is, and I'll play it on the show. Um, and if you do decide to contribute through Patreon, I'll give you a shout out on the show as well, because I want to recognize folks and what they're doing and how they're helping the show out. So that's it. That's this episode for you. Listen next week when I will be talking to a yet to be identified guest. Who is it? Who is it? It's a secret. Ooh, secret. Yet to be identified guest about the BC NDP leadership race and how this is going to be a crucial race if we're going to actually do some big work in this province on climate change. So tune in, listen, follow along. I'll announce who my guest is on Wednesday so you'll get to know who it is and what our topic is going to be on specifically. But until then, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share this out and about. And um, we'll see you next time. Bye.